Hello and welcome. Uh, welcome to another episode of What's New in Cloud FinOps with myself, Franck Contrepois, and my friend and colleague, Stephen Old. Here we go. So this month, for the first time in quite a while, we did not have to really find things, really find, uh, how do you say, really All search too much. Yeah. There was stuff about FinOps. So we're very happy to present you all the fantastic things we found. And I'm going to start with uh, uh, some work on AWS, uh, Amazon SageMaker in particular, where they've introduced new instance type, which are cheaper. We now have savings plans on SageMaker. So for everyone out there doing ML and training, just go. It's going to be extremely interesting. If you have a, a basic workload, just use savings plans. And on top of that, because I am putting three news into one, there is also SageMaker interference endpoints getting leading a what? You can use the same endpoints and the same containers you have on those endpoints to do multiple training. So you can start aggregating things and getting to up to 80% discount. Nice. Nice. Um, moving on to the next one I've got, because we've got a lot to get through today before we uh, speak to our colleague, John, about maturity models. Um, we have a new digital course that Amazon have released about S3 cost optimization. The course is aimed at uh, architects, whether they be cloud architects, solutions architects, storage architects, developers, operations engineers, anyone <laughs> could join it, it sounds like. Um, I mean, I've always thought it's quite simple to set up S3 because they've got all the automation there. But I guess if you are using huge amount, I mean, we speak to people that are using petabytes, uh, this might give them some extra additional pieces um, to, to help them with that. And it's got yeah. some video S3. demonstrations. Yeah, and S3 became quite a, a big thing. Now you have, you have I don't remember how many different type of S3, S3. You have the standard one, the one zone one, you have the outer tiering one, you have the glacier. You have, yeah. And they are all together. And some things you can do on your own, something you can, it can be automated, but it's a little costier. So mm. yeah, I think if they provide, which is what I hope best practices and use case to use each different service, that would help me now us <laughs> to, to keep on track. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one is about cost categories, AWS cost categories. So the idea of cost categories is while we advance into uh, what AWS matures as in the industry and becoming more finance aware, talking more and more with finance people and CFOs, they are introducing some features around organizing cost and the AWS cost categories was introduced some time ago. Now they've added a detail page, which av uh, avoids people clicking, getting some information on one page, then clicking on a button, getting to the bidding console and being able to extract further information. So it's a more aggregated information, so easier insights to extract. And also the categories being a hierarchy, you can now have inheritance and default value flipping down. So that would help create more and more granular cost categories and so better reporting. It's just becoming more mature, isn't it really? It's that. I still feel it is still complicated in the fact that it's still a technical way to get to the cost, but it's definitely a move in the right direction. 
Super. Right. Next one. Amazon Elasticsearch announces auto-tune feature, which will improve performance and application availability. Um, this is based on it uh, running a JVM and tuning the memory. Uh, anything, although this one doesn't have a specific nature of saying that it is uh, is cost reducing, as soon as we see performance on a, on a service that can become quite expensive for using it at scale, um, we do think that this will uh, help people reduce their costs. Uh, and a little other thing, it was there was no real best practice on how to scale mm. the service, and so it was just really try and error, and it was it could be quite costly quite easily. So if there is an auto tune, I think that's going to be extremely useful to start small as start small and then grow as needed, yeah. as best practice recommend. Yeah, and get maximum um, performance out of the cluster you've got before moving up. Exactly. So next is um, going back to uh, ML there, machine learning. So there is a training for business and technical leaders to make decisions on ML training. Uh, it is a free training. It, I'm pretty sure I'm going to try it because it, it sounds interesting. And it is available only in English. But yeah, it, it's a really, I, I feel it's going to be a really good introduction to ML at the highest level. And if you are a technical person, do it too. That will help you understand how to communicate ML stuff to your decision makers. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's still a bit of a blackout and you've got a lot of people saying, hey, I want to do AI and ML, go do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah that's yeah. why uh our, our partner pitch flat peak is specialized in helping people make the right business decisions on what you should be getting ml to do because it's still a bit unknown isn't it uh for a lot of execs that are asking for it um right next one one i was pretty excited about so i, I grabbed it was uh reduce unwanted traffic on your website with a new aws waf bot control um having worked a lot in retail in my previous roles um you know it's amazing how many how much bot traffic there is uh for releases having been recently trying to buy a uh, playstation 5 i certainly saw the challenges of uh, of bots just hammering sites uh, aws shield team their threat research team says up to 51% of traffic heading into normal web applications is actually originating from scripts uh, running on machines. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I was I was staggered by that. But I guess, you know, some of that is just it being crawled for search. And, you know, there's all sorts of things happening on the internet that we're not even aware of. But, you know, I, I have seen this firsthand. Um, when the WAF came out, we were all quite excited about it. Actually, it had a rate limiter of, I think it was 2,000 requests in five minutes, which isn't that low so you know bot traffic was, was still getting through they've done a load of work on that things have changed over time but now they've got this um aws waf bot control which is there to identify um you know make visible and then give you some standard actions you can take against the bot traffic um you know a lot of bots is doing um you know stuff on um on uh sync on tls handshakes so it is monitoring that but it's also doing uh http attributes and IP addresses being looked at, stuff like that. Um, and it categorizes the bots, say if it's a, a scraper, if it's something to SEO, or those kind of things. So actually, you're getting a bit of visibility of what's hitting your site, which I really like. Yes. So you can actually kind of go, well, I'm not too bothered about that stuff that's working on my SEO. I'm actually bothered about these people trying to get these latest trainers uh, and stopping, you know, trying to order 100 of them, stopping people yeah. getting the limited edition stuff. 
So yeah, I like stopping, that. stopping Steve getting his PlayStation Five. I think. That was yeah, good. I got there in the end, um, <laughs> but <laughs> after a lot of work. Um, but I think you know this will help reduce costs. So people may be thinking it because bot traffic can absolutely cause scaling events, um, which are you know not genuine, costly. and they yes. can be very costly indeed. Absolutely. Good. So yeah, I, I <clears throat> you've got me excited on that one too. So we need to try that off. I don't know if I, if my blog got all that <laughs> following. We might try it with our strategic it's on that. Okay, it's me listening. Yeah, I, I read it. <laughs> so let's go. Let's go. On. We are moving to Azure. We're moving into Azure, and there is something which is that. So the I, I hate the names every time I get it wrong. But the DSV three and ESV three families now have disk bursting. And while that might not say much to people, overall, this person is quite important because IO and the capability of increasing the request to your hard drive at any point is vitally important if you have cyclical things. For example, once a day you generate all the invoice for a customer, you will hammer that hard drive enormously. And if the system has the capability of providing you whatever is needed to get it done, you absolutely want it. And this is really, really going to be useful. And it also allows um, some services to stay on lower-end machines because if you only need 30 minutes of very high-intense um, storage performance a day, then you do not need to move to some something which is ready 24-7. You just have that 30 minutes available. I think that's that can be really good, and from a, a database uh, <laughs> crazy guy, I, I would say that that's uh, that that would have been very interesting for me in the past. Yeah, and we've we've seen other um, other instance types and virtual machine types get um, get this update, and you know whenever we've seen it, it it does offer a you know a FinOps result. You can definitely uh, use it to. To not have to pay for those those um, dedicated IOPS, which really helps. Yes. Um, right. The next they are exactly they are expensive. The next one, um, general availability, um, is how it starts. But actually, I don't think that's a good description. There are some changes coming to the Azure Pipeline's free grants. Um, what's interesting reading this article is basically people have been abusing it, um, so they're doing some temporary changes to the process. Um, I don't know how temporary, but basically, if you're creating a new organization, you have to send an email requesting the free grants so you can get free CICD Azure pipelines. They used to just happen naturally in your organization. You'd get an amount free. You now have to go and request them. Really surprising that this area has been abused. Um, but a lot of the kind of the DevOps stuff in Azure has actually been really strong. Um, but yeah, I... I I was surprised to see the reason why. I just thought maybe they were uh, deciding to try to pull back from some um, giving some free stuff to everyone. I was a bit cynical, uh, but they're talking about there's been an abuse of uh, of hosted agents. So, uh, it's it's something that you can repeat as many times as you want. So if it's free and you know that you can create one pie, I don't I don't know that I'm talking without having full knowledge, but I, I'm thinking, hey, I can create up to one thousand pipeline. Each pipeline can generate. 500 calls mm. that could be used for ddos quite easily that could be used yeah. for those crawler that we were discussing about before that would be in, in any case stopped by the va, va from the other side so yeah 
<laughs> I, yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, that's that's all yeah. I can think it might be. Um, when I first read Hosted Agents, I was I was trying to to work out exactly how it was being abused, but that was what I thought as well. It's probably just um, I didn't want to give people ideas. Uh, but anyway, now now you can't do it. You've got to go and send an email um, yeah. so they know you. Yeah, I'm moving to something which is from Google Cloud this time, and it's it's extremely exciting, really. It is using predictive auto-scaling. So there are some moments, and as you say, in particular, for example, retail will be one, or where you know you're going to have more traffic or you know you're going to have less traffic than usual. And so Google is presenting a system that they will try to guess that and make decisions upfront because even if you're just reacting to scale up or scale down it takes some time yeah. every system going up will take some time and so you'll always be late until you are at the right scale but you will be late during that growth or reduction this is helping prepare for that and so starting upfront or reducing upfront it's becoming proactive as everything that tries to guess the future, it is, it requires you to validate if it is really going to work for your system. And so there is also uh, something that will help you understand and checking it. Checking it, there is a, a in the documentation, there is a part which is about checking if predictive auto-scaling is suitable for your workload. So you can see what would be the recommendations and you can have a human understanding Yes, that would have helped or not. So go and check it. I always love the things that try to make it uh, more, <clears throat> sorry, proactive. I think it can really help the, the usability for your customers, but at the same time, it can easily go wrong. So yeah, test it. Yeah, and I have to say, the because obviously we read a lot of articles to come up with these, some months more than others. This month's probably a better one because there was enough there that we didn't have to search looking for nuggets in deep in articles. But the Google articles, when you read them, they really do have a lot of useful technical detail. And like I say, it runs through whether it's suitable for you and that kind of stuff, um, which I thought was really good. Yeah. And my next one's Google as well. Um, have budget notifications come to your favorite comms channels. So the notifications and stuff that's been working in the in the budget engine within Google, you can now get to fire to, I'm just going to say Slack, because let's face it, almost everyone that's using Google is using Slack. Um, I know a couple of companies that use actually the Hangout side, but you can easily get it to bang into, uh, into tools, basically, and that's really nice. And the article actually walks you through exactly how you do it as well. <laughs> um, so there's plenty of detail in there. Um, I think that's dead helpful. I know I live my life on Slack. Um, I have to quite regularly um, edit the Slack notification noises out of this podcast because I forget to put it on Do Not Disturb. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's exactly, it's a big part of um, of what we do here and what a lot of organizations I work with and have worked in the past are using. So, you know, the more information you can have firing into in one place, the better obviously as with any notifications you know don't make them too noisy or no one will read them uh, but i think that's a nice little addition from google and that is my last uh, last piece of news the last talking point i'd like to bring up though frank was something me and you saw uh, not long before the recording this podcast was that google are announcing four years of 100 percent renewable energy um, which is great considering our kind of green credentials and the new carbon 
footprint region selector. Well, it's a region selector um, that is related to, uh, yeah, you can actually have a look at how well you've chosen based on um, based on the carbon footprint from that from that particular site. So I quite like that. Uh, people uh, people are taking the green stuff a lot more seriously, which we're obviously really pleased about, but it's good to actually see products coming out based on this. Yeah. Yes, and we should think about one. Yeah. Let's um, challenge ourselves. Absolutely. And one of our partners, actually, um, ThoughtWorks, have been doing a project on on um, on carbon uh, footprint from, from cloud. And I think we might bring them on a future uh, episode, which might be a special, which yeah. is a green-related special, because it's really cool what they've done. They've sent me it on, uh, after a call with them on Tuesday, I'll start to look through it. And I think that's really great. And, uh, you know, we were speaking to a, a friend of ours, an organisation that's doing loads of stuff on um, – on reviewing the you know benchmarking the clouds against each other for cost and performance and things and really nice to bring some carbon footprint stuff into that and we'll try to bring them on as well so we've got a few topics coming up which we think will be interesting to people um but yeah now i think we're on to um on to our next section with with our friend john yep hello everyone today we are very lucky we were able to get John Bryant, which is the head of our financial solution architect with us, and he's going to talk to us about the maturity model that we use in lots of engagement to measure this level of maturity of FinOps processes. Without further ado, John, floor is yours. Hello. Okay, we've created a, a FinOps framework. Uh, the framework is created uh, from eight different segments. The segments each have uh, a number of elements to the segment, and each of those elements has a maturity attached from one to five. Um, one being, uh, yes, somebody knows how to do it, but it's all very ad hoc, and five being absolutely perfect and mature. I think most of our customers will find themselves predominantly at the level of one or two because uh, Cloud FinOps is a new thing. It's just developing. So, so what kind of things are we assessing people against? And, and you know, you did a lot of the work coming up with this this model. How did you decide those are the right things to be to be asking an organisation when you're looking at their maturity? It's a summary, really, of the questions that we have been asked over time, um, and in in a structured fashion, so that we can use it and reuse it in a, in a repeatable way, so that we have a, a much more structured approach. So what are those areas that we are reviewing a company against when we're looking at the model and framework? Sure. So we have, there are eight uh, segments, which is your uh, FinOps governance, which is how it all works and hangs together, making sure you've got people. Uh, Cost planning, which is establishing your costs and your business value of your cloud, which is very important. Uh, Then cost-optimized design, which is, Uh, making sure that as you bring in new services that you are designing properly for the cloud and not just lifting and shifting stuff uh, from on-prem services without considering your cloud costs. Uh, Then there's number four is the technical optimization of services. Uh, And that tends to be the optimization of running services. Number five is the financial optimization of services six is uh 
financial visibility, so making sure that the reports are available and are understandable and going to the right people at the right time. Seven is cost monitoring, which is uh, predominantly around alerting and uh, sort of dashboards. And eight is a structured overspend uh, framework to avoid uh, spikes. Okay. And do we see any patterns, you know, where the, the people we're engaging, the way the market is at the moment, do we see any patterns where people are stronger or weaker against this framework? I think everybody has their own um, starting price and different teams have got different focus. I think there's there's a certainly a similarity of questions, which is, you know, we don't understand why costs are increasing, which is about, again, this point around making sure that you can actually measure not just your cost, but your the value of cloud and how the cloud is helping your business. So until you get that relationship, it's very difficult to attribute your costs correctly uh, and understand why they're changing. But I think once you link them back to a some sort of business value, then it's much easier to understand. Is, and, and hopefully this question makes sense, but this model and the way it's working is quite different because, in, in my understanding, because of the way you have to change the way you're doing finance and governance around cloud versus on-premise. Is that fair? And can you go into a bit of detail about that? It, yes, it, yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, cloud FinOps is very much about uh, the cultural change of um, making IT and finance talk the same language, which is a novel thing. Um, under making it the the dynamic nature of cloud needs to be translated and understood by finance yeah so that you can still get the flexibility while also having um a, a an appropriate level of stability and uh reporting such that your finance can see that not teams that can see that it's um controlled and managed one of the ways you've described it to me in the past uh, which i've then you know used with people subsequently is the fact that there's this movement from your limitation being on capacity yeah and now being on cash right because you know you can you can use a lot of cloud (laughs) yeah yes so yes on on premise um it's always you have capacity constraints in terms of yeah cpu and ram you have capacity constraints in terms of uh disk space um in the cloud all of those capacity constraints disappear um i have to say my experience is that capacity management was um not done there was not a strong focus on on it let's put it that way um it was not done particularly well it was um Yes, capacity management is the has been replaced effectively with a, a the financial optimization and organization because there's almost infinite levels of resource in the cloud, but we need to yes, but you are going to run out of money. Uh, and that's quite impressive is that you don't see many tools or that many tools helping you understand how much you're spending and 
eventually even just coming <coughs> doing that migration we, we had to really create one to make sure that we are able to assess customer state as of today what was the relationship between finance and it and helping them doing that movement for we all know that money is vital especially for for profit companies and the cloud until now has been really a technical thing tech, managed by technical people and it is effectively moving into that area of finance and this is where we are seeing lots of people coming to us and asking for that maturity model to say where am i in that journey how mature am i compared to my other not competitors but peers and how can i move forward with that it is really uh how can i say it is a movement where you see the maturity of cloud as an industry moving from purely a toy for for techies in like me uh moving into a, a professional tool that is needs to be used to deliver value yeah and it's moving into people's strategies right and it's very hard exactly. and if you look at a lot of people who maybe uh, describe as digital natives or people who are born in the cloud saas companies and stuff like this it is not surprising to us because we're in the industry but to a lot of outsiders who've been running more traditional businesses for a long time will probably be surprised to know that a lot of these companies maybe don't really understand their price per customer or the cost per customer rather and because when you've been doing something visual we look at my history my background in catering and hospitality i would know based on what someone had ordered the time they'd been in i'd be able to work out the cost of that customer to me what therefore they'd spent and and the margin i'd made from it right as a really simple example but actually when you're in a company especially a scale up that's doing really well your limiting factor probably hasn't been uh money because you are hopefully running in a profitable way it has been capacity in terms of engineering time or something like this and that's a story we've heard uh repetitively and and if you're in that situation don't feel you're alone you plenty of your peers are in it as well and it's an exciting time to be in the business but you are going to hit a bit of a maturity crisis where suddenly you need to be making strategic decisions maybe you're getting investment and people are saying hey if we add a new customer how much is that going to cost if you hit all these customers that you're saying you're going to do in your growth how is that going to change your cloud cost and so many people are unable to say that because that hasn't been where they've been focusing and i think the work that you guys have been doing with with our customers on this maturity model is actually helping people get to a point where they can make better business led decisions you know around how they're going to engage customers how it's going how much it's going to cost them because they're getting that visibility at a layer beyond just the technical layer finance are beginning to uh, you know understand the cost per customer or you know how the costs are changing and being able to forecast that moving forward the amount of cfo's who ask us how do i budget for next year and you know I mean frank we did that talk about forecast last uh, last month i think it was and how difficult that is well actually people stepping through this maturity model that you guys have created helps them get there in a in a more data driven way i think which is why i find it quite exciting i wanted to bring it up um today with with that in mind john if people are coming to this thinking i'm at a zero in all those things you've said we're not doing anything which is my understanding what a zero is what would be your top tips be to getting started so it's absolutely fine is when starting is that this is an individual one person doing bits and pieces and just establishing where are we what are we doing can i 
get at least some idea of my costs. Can I, you know, you can search around, you can find uh, vendors provide some best practice on optimized design. You can look at your technical optimization and assess the workloads, get some savings in place. You can get some uh, commitments in place and get your financial optimization in place. You can get, uh, yes, some, the vendors predominantly provide pretty good reporting. It's not necessarily perfect, but it's there. You've got some financial visibility. Use the native tools. You can, uh, again, they all pretty much all send, have um, monitoring and alerting and budget control pieces. So you can use all of those. Um, just get those basics in place as a base layer and then mature across the board um, uh, as you, you know, as you can. Um, I would, you can't do just one thing. You need to actually have a view across all of those pieces yeah. is what I found. But the order in which you start, I think, depends on your situation, right? If you are spending too much on cloud, you focus on the optimization stuff first, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. If, yeah, you'll, you'll hit the technical and, and financial optimization, reserve everything that you can, shrink everything that you can, get rid of all those snapshots that are sitting there doing nothing, get rid of, you know, storage. Yeah, tends to be a massive um, sinkhole of uh, cost that is not overly controlled yeah. for a lot of people. Um I guess while uh, yeah, if you're a, just pick up those those simple pieces, yeah, first. Yeah, while if you're a scale up and it's going really well, actually, you'll probably start on some of the visibility stuff. Starting those conversations happening between departments, saying what information would be useful to you, and how do I make it make sense to you as well. And and some of it, like uh, you guys have said a number of times to people when I've been uh, listening in on you uh, on on calls to customers about saying, hey, it's a cultural thing. It's bringing finance on the journey. And this is one of the reasons we're starting to do kind of a bit of a webinar series. And I think me and Frank are even talking about doing a new Demi series on cloud for the CFO. Actually, who has ever spent some time going to their CFO and saying, hey, I know there's all these new words that you've not heard before and, and suddenly it feels like it's all out of control, but let me put this back into your language. And then, you know, if you've got the CFO on the journey, it's going to make everything a lot easier. And when we work with companies which have their CFO involved and the CFO can ask and articulate what information they need to be able to do their budgeting things. You can just see it it sounds like quite a simple piece to be doing, like it's not a massive step, but actually the difference it makes is massive. Absolutely. And um I think the the difference um at the at the early steps is really big. They're really huge steps because you drive out that nervousness that the CFO says Okay, yeah, it used to be I had a big lump of tin in the corner doing stuff. Uh, I bought it. It sat there, paid for. It was all good. Now the IT guys are spinning stuff up. I don't know what they're spending. It seems to be infinite resource. It could be, you know, this month it's um, one cost. Next month it's, it's a completely different cost. I don't understand it. I don't. I'm not sure if I totally trust what the IT teams are doing it. Um, you're, you've moved your procurement from a very formally managed piece to allowing engineers to spin up things as and when they want. 
Um, and there's a, I think there's a feeling of lack of control, which is not necessarily reflected in the, the reality, but it's the finance teams have a feeling of, uh, yeah, that they don't know what's going on and don't know when, what, how much it's going to cost. Absolutely. So again, kind of going back to a bit of a thing about how people are, you know, they're feeling maybe they're not as mature as they want to be. They're either starting at zero very early on. In your experience, are there any pitfalls that you could advise people to avoid that you've seen happen? You know, maybe you've actually found people have gone and done um, to to help people start this journey. I think overall, it's it's just don't. You're not going to perfect every, you know, or you can't perfect a single element. You have to take a, quite a sort of holistic view of understanding your reporting, understanding what different teams are doing, understanding. Uh, your planning, understanding stuff. You, you can't, you know, be a five uh, fully optimized in technical piece, but not have any financial piece in. It, it just doesn't make sense. It, it becomes very uh, skewed. Um, and the other thing I think is probably is, you know, yes, it is a maturity journey. Don't, yeah. you know you will you will work your way through it you you can't there isn't really a there's not an easy way to do this in leaps and bounds it's an incremental development piece. Yeah. you're not, you're not going to get from one to five in in two weeks no no absolutely not okay well i mean this is one of those subjects we could talk about forever but we need to keep a shortcast to uh, the podcast to a, a length of time frank is there any of the questions you think would be uh, really worth asking or Shall we? Uh, shall we thank John for his time? Yeah. No. The only thing is, I, I want to highlight one thing, which is again we said it, it's uh, that in the cloud, a level two is the first level. I would say is the minimum level you should aim for because it it protects you from just one person knowing it and being able to do an action. But being at level two for most of your cloud processes and FinOps processes is quite good. Level three is already a step forward, as we say, and should be reserved to a specific for those specifically critical processes. So, yeah, tag, make sure they are not nothing is at one, everything at two, and choose some of them to be at level three. That would be uh, a good practice to start with, I think. Yeah, that's certainly where you need to aim to get to. By the very nature of cloud being so dynamic, ever being beyond that is going to be very difficult. You need to have people just doing it um, to get to get into those higher levels. Yes, yeah, it is always worth uh, highlighting that four and five maturity levels only really operate in a st stable context. Um, so, but if you've got new customers coming on, new business, new uh, services being delivered and developed, you're not in a stable context. So the, the the value measures that you have this month may be completely different to the value measures you have in six months' time. And therefore, get into those quantitatively managed levels is just uh, is very difficult. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for that, John. If people would like to know any more about this, feel free to um, message us on, on LinkedIn. We can give you your, your questions to, uh, to John. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time, John. That's really interesting. Thanks very much. Thank you.